Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 2, Episode 14 of the 2013 Potomac River Snakehead Tournament. This is going to be a mix-up of me here at the desk recording. It's going to be a mix of me putting a microphone in people's faces. And it's also going to be a mix of me putting the microphone in the people's faces while the computer recorded via the built-in microphone used for Skype. So we're going to have to give producer Jason a big round of applause on this one because he had to deal with some pretty dodgy recordings. And he's going to put it all together and make like a Frankenstein podcast. We'll start at the beginning. The whole, uh, you know, tournament started last year. That was the first one I went to. I didn't fish it. I was invited by Austin to come out and check it out. And you've listened to the podcast. And this year the tournament was announced. It was July 29th and 30th. And we started to build a team of tidal Potomac fly rotters. And we basically had to find people that A, could be hardcore anglers and fish for 18 hours. Uh, people that could tie some awesome flies that could cast really well. And for me, I had to put together people that could row a boat. So the team consisted of Dan Davala, Trent Jones, Scott Stankus, Jim Camel, and myself. I fished with everybody before, and since it's the TPFR team, we had to have TPFR board members being Dan and Trent. And it was a team of five, even though you could have six people on the team. And we had to start tying flies. So Jim took the lead on frog patterns, and he tied up some pretty awesome foam and rubber-legged frogs. My focus was on my curly tail flies, Pat Ellers-style Grim Reapers. Just Google Pat Ellers, E-H-L-E-R-S, in addition to some of my foam mice. And I tied up a bunch of clousers in different colors, and then in case we got into some gar, because the gar are up the river this time of year, a bunch of gar clousers. The main focus of these flies was weed guards. 
Snakeheads are going to be back in the weeded locations. What kind of weeds we knew that were out there? Well, spatter dock. And now get a piece of paper out. I'll give you a second. Okay, good. Now get a pen. Okay, every time you hear the word spatter dock, put a little tick mark down. So we knew there'd be spatter dock and hydrilla. And we didn't want to lose our flies in these. And we decided, you know, I was using 20 pound tippet, nine foot eight weight Orvis rod, tip flex. I started off with my bat and kill large arbor with an eight weight. And from there, uh, you know, I had everything ready to go. My main concern was hydration. I knew it'd be out for two days of fishing. So I had to fill the cooler with frozen water, some iced tea and a couple of cold beers. Made a bunch of sandwiches, got some pretzels, had cigars ready. Packed up the boat. The plan was to meet at the Matta Woman restaurant, and you can just Google it. It's the Matta Woman restaurant. It's out by where the tournament was at Needwood State Park in Maryland. And we decided to meet there at three. So I didn't know how long it was going to take with the boat. So I got there early. I got there at about 2.30. And as I pull in, Jim's already there at the bar drinking ice cold beer. Now, the outside of the restaurant says Matta Woman Restaurant. Ribs, North Carolina barbecue, cold beer, chicken, and seafood. The first thing I say is, uh, I see a cold high life in the fridge. I'm like, all right, I'll take a Miller high life. She's like, that'll be $2. I'm like, damn, these are some pretty good prices. And then I'm like, all right, uh, I'd like to get myself some food. I want, you know, I'm thinking bacon, cheeseburger and fries. I need to put a big meal in me because I'm efficient for two days. She's like, we don't have food. And I look at Jim and he looks back. He's like, yeah, they, they don't have food at this restaurant. It's like, okay then. So, um, I'm just going to have some cold beer and wait for everyone else to show up. After a while, Scott shows up and we get a, maybe a call that Dan's running late. And I decide I'm going to go to my car and get a sandwich. The waitress okays it. And I get myself a nice cold sandwich out of the car. And just to remind you, the prices in this place were $1.50 Bud and Miller products, $2 for High Life, which is a Miller product, but it's High Life, so it's a little bit more expensive. It's a champagne of beers. Come on, y'all. And $2 for moose heads. So now I'm like, all right, I want a cold moose head. So I get myself a cold moose head, and it's uh, it's pretty awesome. So we're sitting at the bar, and we're watching this lady pour mixed drinks. And it was like a little plastic Dixie cup, and it was like three-quarters gin and then one-quarter grenadine. So I don't know what that drink is, but someone ordered it. And then Trent shows up, and I decide, let's do some podcasting now. So we mosey on over the tables from these chairs that were just completely falling apart to the, and it, by the way, it's dark in here. When I opened the door, I couldn't see Jim until my eyes adjusted, even barely any lights. It was basically Christmas lights were hanging from the ceiling, a lit up cold refrigerator and an HDTV playing sports center. So we move over and it's so dark. The lady goes to fix the air conditioning unit, which is a wall unit. She's got to turn on her phone so she can see the buttons. And then Dan shows up, he gets a beer, so all four of us are sitting there, I break out the computer, and you're going to hear this in a bit, that it was not actually microphone recorded. So we'll have to see how that sound comes out. We decide we all need some food, so Dan's like, I know a place down the street, let's go there. And on the way out, we notice there's an Andre the Giant sticker that says, uh, Andre the Giant, seven foot four, 520 pounds, don't mess with the posse on these sign outside the restaurant. Very strange. I also noticed it's like 90 something degrees out and extremely humid. Speaking of weather, it rained about three inches the night before. So driving over Matta Woman Creek, it looked like Yoohoo. 
So we leave there and we go to Walton's Seafood Carryout and Catering, which is just a brick front building with some glass windows and a striper on the front. We go in there and they got the menu, sandwiches and dinners. They have bone fish, which is two words. Don't know what that is. Fish filet. Now, what kind of fish is it? It just says fish filet. There's a lot of different fish species in the world, so you never know. Oysters, catfish, shrimps, scallops, crab cakes. And they also have baked chicken, chicken wing, fish filet, bone fish, seafood burger, crab cake, oyster scallop, fried shrimps, turkey wings, fried pork chops, potato salad, macaroni salad. And they've got string beans, beans, corn on the cob, collard greens, and mac and cheese, and fries. I'm like, well, I don't eat seafood. How about some fried chicken wings? She's like, well, that'll take 20 minutes. I'm like, well, we only got 20 minutes. So then I'm like, all right, let me just get a side of macaroni and cheese and order fries. And I go and sit. There's like two plastic folding chairs, and there's an old office chair. And then there's a window counter that sells very random 40s, very random six-packs, and then very random bottles of liquor and wine. Dan gets a bottle of whiskey, and we all sit down and wait for the food. Mine comes out first, and I think the downfall is I put hot sauce on my mac and cheese. And then I eat the fries, and I find out they got homemade. Um, what's that sauce that people eat with the seafood? Tartar sauce, according to the Simpsons. So I get tartar sauce, and I sit there and eat, and then everyone's food comes up, and we decide, let's get back. we got to go to the introduction now at the tournament. So we get in the cars, and this is when I find out that Dan is a very fast driver. We all speed off to Needwood State Park. So now we're at the tournament location, Needwood State Park, and, of course, it's cash to enter. So, Scott, if you're listening, I know I owe you $12, and I can give you the receipt, which they gave me. I didn't have any cash on me. We get in there, and it's just blazing hot. And I've had, in the course of I don't know how many hours, four beers, about a pound of homemade, really cheesy thick macaroni and cheese, two orders of tartar sauce, an order of fries with hot sauce and salt. So I'm really thirsty now, and I don't want to drink my water because I need that for the tournament. Previously, before the Mad Woman restaurant, I stopped off at this liquor store bait shop. So I wanted to get some Natty Bow, which is the state beer of Maryland. You heard Morgan talk about that at the Thai Fest way back in the winter. They don't have any Natty Bow, and they don't have any PBR, so I end up getting Bush Light, because it's like $4 a six-pack. Pick up two cans of Arizona Grape Aid and one Arizona Iced Tea. And the fishing stuff is super expensive. I already bought one of those weedless rubber frogs to throw on my 10 weight, because the snakeheads love the weedless frogs. They were 7 bucks at Walmart. This guy knew he's in the right place. He's selling for $14. So I'm like, dude, that's highway robbery, but dude, you're making money, I'm sure. And I get my stuff, then I go to Madawoom Restaurant. So skip forward about three, four hours, and we're back in the parking lot getting ready for the tournament. Since I don't want to drink my ice water, I drink the grape juice, which has about 783.2 grams of sugar. So now I've got dehydrated from drinking beer. I'm all full of grease and dairy, salt, hot sauce, artificial grape, and sugar. And I am thinking I'm going to throw up, and sweat is just pouring off my face. So we go and register. We get our T-shirts. By the way, the T-shirts this year, Austin, are awesome. I've been wearing mine every day so far, and I'm going to definitely wear it to the ICAST slash IFTD in Vegas next week and, and represent. 
I get the boat together, get the oars out, get the rod set up, get the nets, the boga grips, start building my leaders. I get the outboard put on, put the plug in the boat because you got the plug. Scott and Jim come by, put their gear in. I got the camp stove in case we want to fire up and make some dehydrated food. Get the cooler in there, back the boat in. As we're back in the boat and Scott already sees two snakeheads come up and breathe, so it's a good sign. It's now about 6 o'clock, and we start fishing the lily, not the lily pads, the spatter dock, and the shoreline right by the boat ramp. And it's the most fishiest area ever. I mean, it's it's super fishy. You're going to have to go to the blog and look at the pictures. I'm telling you, this place just screamed fish. After about 10 or 15 minutes of rowing with water just pouring down my face, I've got my life jacket on and it barely fits me because I'm so bloated in my gut right now. I honestly was going to just stick my finger down my throat and get all that fluid and food out of me. I felt so bad. I was going to pass out. I was getting seasick. It was bad. But Scott hooks up to a monster hog of a largemouth on one of his patterns. You'll hear him name it later on. And we keep paddling. I'm rowing. I'm rowing. And we're, we got to get into the shade because it's so freaking hot out. Like our clothes are just stuck to us. Sweat stripping down our faces. It's disgusting out. It's been extremely humid here. We got about 14 inches of rain in, in the month of June and it's just been raining. We got about another three inches today. It's July 30 if you're keeping track. So now we're going by this tree and Jim stripping up his frog and this most absolutely beautiful about 17, 16, 18 inch snakehead follows his fly to the boat, turns around. And that just got my blood just going. It was a total adrenaline rush. And then we decide, all right, we're done with this shoreline. Let's cross this quote unquote creek, which is about a mile and a half wide. So we put the oars back, gun the outboard, we go across and it's all rocky shoreline, not very fishy. Austin said, don't really fish hard rocks. They don't like to hang out there. So we start going up river and it's outgoing tide. It's really muddy and low. And out of nowhere, there's just a girl on this floating like giant inner tube island that you would pull behind a boat. And she's just anchored in the middle of absolutely nowhere, either talking to herself or on a Bluetooth. It was very random. And we passed her. We went to this nice cove and it's just straight up spatter dock on the outsides and hydrilla in the middle. And now we switch up. You know, about every hour we switch between who's going to row and who's going to fish. So now I'm on the stern. I think Scott's on the bow and Jim's rowing and we're rowing and you hear fish popping left and right. You know, there's damselflies everywhere out here. And the sun's going down. It's maybe 730 now. And we go through a lane of spatter dock and around this bend. And I mean, it's just fishy water. There's overhanging trees. There's huge grasses sticking up. There's spatter dock on the other side and absolutely nothing. We go around the bend and there's a dock. And what do docks mean? Structure, cover, shade. Every dock I've ever thrown a fly at, usually I'm going to say 100%, there's going to be a fish under it. I grew up in Reston on Lake Audubon. Every dock has a fish. It's like a guarantee. Nothing. Scott throws his fly there. I throw mine. Nothing. At this point, I'm throwing a chartreuse curly tail fly subsurface and it keeps getting hung up on the weeds. Pretty soon we come up to lily pads and right about now the sun is just going down the trees. So it's shady. It's cooling off. I put on my yellow Costa Del Mar sunglasses. Turned out to be absolutely beautiful evening now. And we get to these lily pads. Now make an O with your arms, you know, like you're hugging a tree. That's how big these lily pads were. Scott, you know, he's guessing it was 18 inches across. They looked like saucers from 
Christmas vacation when Chevy Chase went down the mountain. They are huge. And the weird thing is when you push them with the lily pad, the water would get on them and it would bead right off. There was definitely a waxy cuticle on them. So you've got a mixture now of spatter dock, lily pads, and hydrilla. And I think Scott now is rowing and I didn't realize how bad this stuff was to row through until the next morning. And Jim's on the bow. He hooks and loses a couple of fish. By this point, I'm fishing a mouse. And every time you'd pull that through the lily pads, I mean, it would just get stuck and it would go right through the leaf and right to the stem. And that stuff was, I mean, it wasn't coming through. So I'm pulling, I'm pulling. I break my fly line in half and lose my leader and fly. So I'm like, all right, screw this. I decided to take that reel off. I put on my bat and kill large arbor. That's got like a four, 450 grain Rio outbound shooting head. I put on that weedless frog, which is super heavy, not castable, but I realized I can throw it about 10 feet behind me and then just lob it 60 feet in front of me and I can strip it through and it looks great. All of a sudden, big splash, fish pulling. I'm fighting. As soon as it was on, it was off. It got into the lily pads and the hydrilla and with a fly rod, it's just hard to fight a fish in that much structure. So my one fish that I connected to all evening was done. And we go back through this lily pad area, and Jim's getting more bites, and it's just super fishy. Low water creek, there's blue herons, there's egrets, there's uh, ospreys, there's immature bald eagles, there's a beaver back there. I mean, I mean you could not ask for a prettier location. You couldn't ask for more accurate casts from the three of us. We were hardcore fishing to the best of our capabilities, and we're not getting anything. So now we're realizing we're a good 20 minutes from the dock. It's time to get going. You can see the bow hunters coming out now with their LED. As Dan, I think, said, they look like stadium lights. So we decide, all right, we don't want to get hit by bows I did not have the LED light that attaches to the front of my boat. You're supposed to have red and green lights on your boat. Well, it's a drift boat. There's no electronics, but I've got a light that I couldn't find. So we take out my, um, I don't know how you would call it. It's like a big flashlight that uses the same battery as my, my drills and my saws. So we use that and we start shining our way back. We gun it and it takes about 20 minutes to get back. It's now nine o'clock. Trent and Dan are waiting for us at the docks. They already put their kayaks away. They're ready for the night shift. Jim's got a hotel. I'm going to sleep in my car, which turns out to be a gross idea. And at this point, I'm like, all right, guys, take care of my boat. This is my baby. The outboard costs more than my boat because, remember, I got my boat. It did a good deal. I say, be careful. The front left chair is already broken. Don't lean back on it. They'll, they'll totally crack off. They're 65 bucks each. And Trent said he was getting bass blown up at him left and right, but no snakeheads. So now it's 9.30, I'm back in my car, I take a leak, I get in, I take Dr. Jones's extra large Orvis dog bed, remember he's a schnauzer, a mini, so he's got this huge dog bed because he's my spoiled guy. You should see him right now, he's on the leather sofa with his arms and legs out, with his face on a cushion, just totally chilling in the AC. Jones, yes, he doesn't even notice me. All right, so I get in the car and I have the back window open, I take off my long sleeve, Pro Guide Direct, SPF 30 shirt, just sleeping in my shorts, take off my flip-flops, take off my PFD, my lanyard. And mind you, my car the last week had open can of Juicy Juice in it, so there are ants everywhere in the car. I put an ant trap in there that morning, but I had ants crawling on me, 
it's still like 80 something degrees out and the sweat is pouring off of me. If I had just come out of the pool, I would not have been as wet as I was sweating in that car. It was disgusting. I'm starting to fall asleep and all of a sudden I think it's thunder, but it turns out it's fireworks, which I'm assuming is from Tim's river shore, which is a bar on the other side of the river that does fireworks before the sat it's the Saturday before every July 4th. So that goes on for about 20 minutes. The, the, um, Grand finale's done. I finally start falling asleep. And it's just, I mean, it's, I put my arm on my side. It slips off. I, I am so sweaty and disgusting. It's to the point that it's actually grossing me out. Remember, I spent a summer living in my car, not showering a whole lot. In high school, I spent two weeks in Colorado in a Land Cruiser. And I thought I had this great tan, but it turned out it was just dirt from the, the roads. And, you know, I spent a month in South America traveling around in high school. I'm used to being gross, but this was a little too gross for me. About 3.30 in the morning, I wake up. I'm actually chilly, so I put on this little blanket. It's the same cheap blanket you use in motels. It's the one that you can make crayfish out of. It's um, not craft felt, but you, you know the material. It comes in like a 4 by 4 inch square, and you can make flies out of it. So I get up, and I look out the window, and Scott's walking towards me. He'd been fishing all night long, so basically 12 hours straight. He's like, let's get to it. So we go down to the boat and don't see Dan and Trent. Apparently they went upstream with their cars and put in. Jim's there. He got a nice air-conditioned hotel room somewhere. He's all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed ready to go. So we decide we're going to go up and start at those lily pads. So we get in. First thing I notice is the back of the chair is broken off. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. But you know what? What can you do? It was already broken. <clears throat> Dave Orton, you broke it last weekend. But you're in um, Macedonia now, so you're not hearing this. I can't blame you. So we get in, and we start eating breakfast. I have my pastrami, roast chicken, provolone, horseradish sandwich. I don't know what Jim had. He maybe have already eaten breakfast. And Scott starts off with a bagel with some meat and cheese on it. We go straight to the lily pads, and there's already a boat up there. So we go. There's boats everywhere, by the way. There must have been another bass tournament going on. And these things have got 200, 300 power mercury outboards. They are cruising through the center lane of Madam Woman Creek. I mean, I've never seen boats go that fast. I fish no wake zones or lakes. I'm not used to seeing boats cruising that fast. We get up there and there's actually bass boats all over this cove. So we go along the shoreline. The tide is slowly starting to come in. Overhanging trees, spatter dock, hydrilla, submerged logs, shade nothing. I may have gotten like a little bluegill tug the rubber leg on my scorpion fly, but I mean, I'm telling you nothing. So now we, we go up, we get to the lily pads. There's that boat back there and they just look silly. It was like five young guys all with bows sort of in a circle pointing down. And then one guy in the back of the boat controlling it. And they just looked, I mean, kind of funny. They're just going all around, just looking for a fish to shoot. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, 
have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And we're fishing the lily pads and spatter dock, and we see big fish that were spooking, and we cast a fish, and Jim loses a couple, and I get nothing. And now I'm rowing through this crap, and it is, it's horrendous. It's exhausting. Every time you push the oars down to lift up to make your next row, there's like 10 pounds of wet seaweed on them, and you're also stuck on the lily pads, which are connected to the bottom. So you got to push down and rip the stipe off, which is the stem, and then I'm like, screw it. we got to get out of here. So you pull the motor up. You start going all the way around upriver, and by now the tide's really coming in. So the next place we stop, Scott's rowing. All he has to do is just kind of shimmy to the left, shimmy to the right, and just turn us because the water is coming up so fast. It never comes up that fast on our side of the river. And our side of the river doesn't have those lily pads. I mean, it's the fishiest-looking water I've ever seen in warm water. It was nuts, but nothing was in there. So now we're going through lanes of spatter dock, and we're either spooking huge snakeheads or maybe a bull shark that came up there or carp because there's these V pushes where the fish's shoulders are pushing water in front of it as it moves out of our way. And we lose a couple fish by we, I mean, Jim, and we get to this little skinny part of the water where the tide hasn't come in yet. And we end up having to use the rows, the oars as push poles to get us out. And now we switch because Scott had an awful time rowing through this stuff. Jim's rowing. I'm on the back. And Scott has a bohemian chenille worm on with a foam tail, and he hooks into just an absolute pig of a largemouth. So this largemouth, I mean, it looked much bigger. They always do. It weighed three pounds on the Berkeley scale, and I, I don't think that was accurate. The thing was, I mean, huge. So now we're just cruising along the shoreline, and there's a guy with his wife fishing, and he just keeps giving us the stink. I don't know what his issue was. But we keep going along, and we're just uh, just cruising with the tide. And by now, we're probably three, four miles away from home base of Needwood. And we're, we're coming up. It's my turn to row. We go past another dock. I make my last cast. Nothing under that dock. So I'm like, all right, my turn to row. Look at the map. This place is called The Pads. And we get there, and it's high-tide flooded lily pads about the size of four tennis courts put together with spatter dock on the edges and lily pads and hydrilla. And it's pouring rain by now. It's... It's kind of cold, kind of wet. I put on my Gore-Tex pants. I wuss out, I know. Scott and Jim would much rather be wet, though, than have the sun blaring on us, and I agree with that 100%. It had been cloudy all night. Since I forgot my contact solution, I slept with my contacts in. I couldn't tell if it was really hazy in the morning or it was just my contacts were really dirty. It's a combination, which was nice, having nice overcast. But we couldn't really see anything, and I'm rowing through this stuff, and, I mean, it's it's pointless. I'm, we're absolutely not going anywhere. Jim loses about two fish. I can't remember what Scott did, but I'm more focused on rowing us, and I decide, screw it, we're getting out of this stuff. So then we row up and around, and you know we, we miss a couple more fish. I don't know what happened. You know I'm trying to keep this short. The next thing I know, I'm on the bow, standing up. Maybe Scott's rowing again. Mind you, Scott, you've already caught two fish now, and I, I made this point at the end. 
you get a row now. We need a boat, some fish. And Jim and I, I mean, we're so frustrated. I'm swearing at these fish, calling them all sorts of filthy, dirty names. Mom, you would definitely wash my mouth out with soap if you heard them. Same with my wife. I was using words that I'm not supposed to, to use. So now we're cruising up through this maybe 30-yard wide lane between the spatter dock. And I put my rod tip down, and I basically get to the first stripping guide. It's So it's about seven, eight feet deep. So we start fishing the shorelines. Oh, no, strike that, reverse it. We're back in the, the, the lily pads, and I've got my foam mouse on, and I smack it. I see a fish move. I throw my mouse down, splat. Strip, strip, I get a bump. Nothing. I pick it up, I slap it down. And mind you, I'm using that real outbound, so I don't have to make false casts. Slap it down, I hook up to some fish. I never see it. It goes down, I set the hook, and I'm stripping him in, and boop, he pops off. So the first fish I really solidly connected to the whole time was off. So now we're going through that lane again. And I, same mouse, this time I put on one that's got a barb on it. I know you've heard my history of barbed hooks, but it's a tournament. I haven't even boated a fish yet. I thought I'd be in the large mouth left and right, but maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's the pressure this place gets. I don't know. I hook into another fish and lose it. Never saw it. And we go keep going up, and this crease getting more narrow, more narrow, more narrow. So it finally just dead ends by a beaver dam, beaver pond. Um, what do you call the houses they live in? Beaver Lodge. So we look at the watch. We're like, all right, we got to get back. We've got like 40 minutes left until – so it's 1120 right now. Scott's been fishing literally like 18 hours straight. So he starts rowing us out, but the tide's coming in too fast. I'm like, guys, let's just put the anchor in. Oh, not the anchor, the outboard in. And let's just motor it all the way back. And let's fish that first spot where we started off where I was bloated, wanted to throw up. And where we saw the snakehead chase the fly, where Scott saw snakeheads, and where he caught a bass. And at this point, Jim and I are just super frustrated. We haven't boated a single fish yet. So we... Motor back. It takes about 40 minutes. At this point, the sun comes out. It's super hot. It's super bright. We are just starting to sweat. I light a cigar. I haven't had a cigar in months. So I guess since the Project Healing Waters. So it's been, you know, two, three months since I've had a cigar. And we get back and we're like, all right, definitely, Scott, you're rowing these last like 15 minutes because Jim and I haven't caught a thing. And by now, it's, it's like 92, 93 degrees and there's not much breeze and we're casting and casting. We're doing in the shade, along the grass. We're throwing into the grass, pulling our flies out so they plop like a real frog or mice falling in. We fish the spatter dock. We fish the hydrilla. I don't get it. Like Scott's got a picture of me just shrugging at one point because not a single fish was even going after our flies. So now it's about noon. Tournament's over. We're like, F it. Let's just get out. We need to hydrate. There's free beer, free oysters, free snakehead, and a bluegrass band playing up there. Plus, we wanted to see how Dan and Trent were doing. So about noon, 12.05, we call it. We go back. I go get the boat. We pull it out. It's much easier now. It's high tide. We go up. We start putting our gear in the cars. Uh, everybody changes. At, at this point, like my clothes are literally stuck to me. I can't move. We um, all convene. We find Dan and Trent. And we see some other guys from TPFR show up. Vo was there. That's a V-O. We talk to Austin. Eventually, we find Rich Farino from Urban Angler. I... I Bump into Chef Chad from Rockfish in Annapolis, and he's just dying. He's cooking in front of a gas grill, and it's like 90-something degrees out. We decided we'll get him on the podcast later, but it never really happened. It eventually started to rain, and I had to get home. I just didn't want the equipment out. I was beat. So you're going to hear the next podcasts are going to be um, 
Let's see. Oh, and by the way, the winners for bow hunting had a hundred and something pounds, which is 200 pounds less than last year. Overall, over a thousand pounds were taken out. You can go and read this on WTOP.com. I'm sure Potomac Snakehead website on Facebook and on Twitter will have all the official weigh-ins. But so the podcast you're going to hear next are going to be Scott and I talking over Skype, which ended up being a video, not an audio. So thank you. Thank you, Jason, for fixing that. You're going to hear us at Matter Woman Restaurant. You're going to hear us, um, and it was, it, it's a tournament weigh in. It was trying to herd cats because everybody wanted free oysters from Hollywood Oyster Company, free snakeheads from Chef Chad and free flying dog ale. And Dalton also showed up. So he took pictures of the team and we finally got everybody. Uh, I got DNR, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. I got the state park representative for the area. I got Austin Murphy and I also got Trent, Dan, Jim, and Scott. So without further ado, let's uh, get on with this podcast. Thanks so much for downloading. The next interview, one will be a huge surprise if we can get him. The second is going to be International Fly Tackle Dealer Show from Las Vegas, Nevada. It's going to be a high of 108 there next week, so I'm going to be mainlining Gatorade. And we'll find out what all sorts of goodies are coming out in 2014 from that. And I will be sure to have the microphone on and the volume turned up. The reason I didn't have it on was um, in the tournament was it was just so sunny and bright out and I just wasn't paying attention. So you're going to hear some people next that had the microphone turned down, the microphone turned up, and some that didn't have the microphone on at all. Jason, take it away. So this should be recording. This is the uh, the test run for doing a Skype recording via Pamela as suggested by producer Jason. All right, so you want to just go and talk about your experience with the 2013 Snakehead Tournament? Sure. Um, my sa- sound okay? Yeah. Sounds good coming through the speaker. Cool. Um, basically, after the tournament, you 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 know, we sat down to get some thoughts, and uh, you asked me what I would would have what I would have done differently, and I was kind of drained after fishing fishing for 18 straight hours. So I think I said um, nothing. We fished as hard as we could and couldn't have done anything differently. Well, I started thinking about that and, and came up with a few things that I think, you know, call them lessons learned, call them um, hindsight being 2020, whatever. Um, but kind of came up with a few things that I think we could have done better or differently. Um, first one is was stealth. I think we we really did not focus on trying to be quiet as much as we should have and could have. Um, you know, part of that was a function of of us being in the boat for the first time and not, you know, the, the three of us not fishing together previously um, and not not being familiar with the with the boat and the surroundings. Um, but we definitely could have could have worked better to to approach. Areas more quietly and, and stayed quiet while we were while we were fishing. Um, another thing that could have helped with that would have been a push pole. But yeah, I was at the pool today and I was looking at those aluminum things for grabbing people out the big hook, and I'm like, I gotta go find one of those in an abandoned pool and steal it. Yeah, like they, they won't miss this at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, another thing that would have helped, I think, is if we had scouted the area ahead of time, um, gone yeah. to check out. You know, just just even you know taking the boat down there and check out the area for a while before you know, the weekend before the tournament or or whatever, just so we 
had familiar familiarity with with the area and sort of had a game plan going in as to what we wanted to hit. Um, I think that would that certainly would would have helped a bit. Um, those are those are the, the two big things I think. You know, everyone. You know, we we all could have improved on. I've, I've got a couple of things for myself. Um, I know I ha- uh, before the before the tournament, you asked me about flies that I was going to fish, and I, I mentioned a few um, that were sort of new to me and, and things that I had tied specifically for the tournament. Um, and probably not a good idea. It was I probably should have tested them for, first. Um, some of them performed like I wanted them to. Some of them did not. Um, some of them. Um, did for a while and then got drowned or whatever and, and sort of didn't didn't work as well as I wanted them to. So it's probably not a good idea to, to be testing new flies um, in you know, that situation. Um, and the weed guards, I mean, I had some pretty solid weed guards on there, but it yeah with Spatterdock, Hydrilla, and Lily Pads, it was just still a nightmare. Yeah, there's there's really nothing that's truly truly weed proof. Which is which was frustrating. Um, also, with with, uh, with regard to flies, I think I should have varied my flies more. Um, I basically fished four, maybe five flies through the whole weekend, and you know, while while I was catching some bass on them, you know, obviously the snakeheads weren't interested in, in those flies, so you know, maybe I should have switched it up and, and um, tried different patterns or different colors or. Um, just, just something different, um, and part of that, part of that, you know, sort of goes hand in hand. You know, trying different patterns would have probably forced me to explore more of the water. Um, changing, you know, we 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 saw some very very fishy water, and stuff that we thought was going to hold a lot of fish, um, and we fished. <laughs> Hi, Riley. <laughs> we we fished um, what we thought. Should hold a lot of fish. We we fished we we the weeds and the edges of the weeds and you know we weren't just just weren't finding finding the snakehead. So maybe we should have explored more of the water column. You know there, we saw a lot of activity in the weeds, but we also saw maybe just as much activity sort of in open water. You know there was a lot of a lot of fish coming up to breathe that were you know nowhere near in near, nowhere near the weeds. So maybe we should have. You know, try dragging dragging stuff across the bottom in eight to ten feet of water. Um, see how that how that produced. Maybe that would have done something different for us. Do you think fishing at night next time would be more focused? Have everyone out at nighttime? You know, that would have been that would have that, going into this. I would have said yes, but we didn't see any more activity than at night than we did during the day. So I don't know if that necessarily would have helped. Um, certainly not putting people in the kayak at night. That, that would not right. be a good idea. Even, even with Dan's uh, fantastic rig with the uh, LED lights. And I want to know how both of our beverages and cans got pinholes in them. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing I wanted after the tournament. After it was, <laughs> it was like ninety-two degrees at the weigh-in. I wanted my big Arizona iced tea, and I picked it up, and it was like pissing out the sun. There was yeah. a pinhole in it, and it happened to your soda too. I think Trent went through it at night and took a clouser and. Too sharp, sharp, and this hooks on the cans. Yeah, <laughs> must have been. Yeah, yeah so, so I think definitely push pole is in the next week or so. I'm going to try and figure that out. Cool. Some DIY push pollage. 
yeah, I think that that'll definitely help. Um, all in all, I mean, I think we did we did did well with what we had and what we knew. Yeah, I wasn't really expecting. I mean, I've caught one on an average one every three years that they've been in the river, so yep, the chances of, of getting into one with a fly was it was fun. It was a learning experience, and it was. I've, I've been wanting to fish there for years. And I finally got a chance. Yeah, and we got to yeah. go to the Mad Woman restaurant and that other place too, which that's right. Good stories. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a that's a super fishy looking area, and I imagine in addition to all the snakeheads, it, it holds some really big bass, which would be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I did. I thought we'd get into some gar, but I didn't see a single one last year. They were all over the boat ramp area. No, I didn't see any at all. Um. But yeah, we, I mean, we certainly put in the put in the effort and you know put in time and covered a lot of water. Um, so we fished hard. That's yeah, that's and absolutely. since I only lost I only lost one fly, so I've got like I said at the end of the tournament, I've got like two dozen clousers and a ton of other bass flies for the rest of the season. So I don't know if they break out the vice anytime soon. Wow. Yeah, I I don't think I, I didn't lose any flies. I uh, Tore the head off of one of the uh, dirty rats, though the foam head came off. So I guess I killed that one, but didn't lose any. Yeah, man. All right. Well, we'll have Jason throw this somewhere on the podcast. Cool. I appreciate it. And, yeah, and I realized that the microphones weren't even on when I was recording everybody at the picnic table. Oh yeah. I, yeah. So it was basically recording from the Skype microphone that was built into the the laptop. So. We'll oh. see how that comes out. And if this is after that segment, you people already figured out that it didn't work that well. <laughs> yeah. So you probably just recorded the band that was behind you. Yep. Got some good bluegrass in there. Nice. And people eating oysters. You hear the sound of people slurping them down. Right. All right. All right. Well, uh, I guess I'll see you at the next beer tie. Sounds good. Where can people find you on Twitter? Um, I am on Twitter at... That's a good question. I believe it's... Scott Stankus, um, yes, at Scott Stankus, my my Twitter handle. All right, all right. Well, let's get this off to producer Jason. That's it for now. Let's hope this recorded. Hope so. All right, all right. Take it easy. You too. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. This is the uh, 2013 Timber Snakehead Tournament. We are at the Mata Woman Restaurant that has no food, but the uh, the best beer prices in town. He's had $2. Can't be that. So let's introduce uh, some of the team Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders. We'll go kind of clockwise. Of course, you have myself. Okay. Scott Stankus. Trent, the Trout Slayer Conies. You may remember Trent. He's been on your record with the legend of Peanut the Cat, and we're waiting for Dan. So uh, who wants to tell the game plan for the tournament this evening? I think the plan uh, technically is to catch some snakeheads. It is a snakehead tournament. However, I'm, I'm going to, in full disclosure, say I plan on catching lots of bass. Uh, and if I catch them a snakehead in the process, it'll be good. But, uh, and some dark. Uh, so it should be good. Uh, the main thing I'm going to share is have some beer and have some fun. What flies we tied up? Jim's got some froggies? Yeah, I tied a block of freaking foam frogs. And uh, a couple of gnarly uh, bass flies, just which uh, we might be able to pull up. And Scott, you tied up some big-headed something or others? Um, I'm relying on uh, KDM Rat, the Dirty Rat, and some uh, CK Baitfish and Streamers that I've tied up. 
Trent, what you got tied up for this evening? I'll tell you what, I'm keeping it simple with uh, red wine minnows, clouds minnows, half and halves, but I also brought some gnarly, um, some mouse patterns and some gurglers and stuff like that if we save up on top. Now, is it considered cheating if I've got a, a weedless rubber frog with rubber legs? Throwing a 10 weight? No. Sweet. I'm throwing a fly that Jim also tied up that I've seen online. In the catalog, it's Pat Ellis Grim Reaper. And I use the, the Gamakatsu books I've been pulling out of trees for several years. I've been collecting. So, it's uh, probably mine. <laughs> who, who's going to be fishing all night here? I, I'm definitely not going to be out all night. Jim? No, not at all night. Damn it, my fear. Son of a... All right. Uh, Scott, you going out all night? I, it is a definite possibility. I, I'm prepared to. And T-Bone? Uh, i tell you what, I got three hours of sleep last night. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a run at it and see if we can pull an all-nighter. Yeah. You lost the power last night, huh? Lost the power in the storm. I was actually looking at some of the trips on the way in, and they looked they looked a little muddy. I don't know if that's going to be good or bad. Um with the water off color, I think if you if you plop it on their nose, I think uh, we don't have to be as stealthy. We might actually work in our favor here. Yeah, we got about two inches minimum yesterday in the thunderstorms. That it was just one solid line of storms that went right across. So, uh, all right, I guess we'll uh, go back to drinking beer and we'll wait. Don't oh, Scott, hold on. Uh, my primary concern for the evening is actually um, having arrows shot at us. But uh, that's just me. I, I think some of us will be in inflatable boats for a while. So. The uh, possibility there with, with arrows flying and uh, inflatable boats is is treacherous. You guys looking forward to free beer, oysters, and snake head sandwiches tomorrow? Well, most definitely, yeah. but never tried snake head before, so looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be my first time eating snake head, too. I'm looking, really, really looking forward to it. It's going to be freaking awesome. I also think it's hysterical that these sneakers have no idea what's about to go on in the next couple of hours. They're just minding their own business, and they're about to have uh, some ridiculous amount of anglers out there trying to kill them. So it should be a good time. Yeah, I mean, if you remember the podcast last year and saw the video I put online, I mean, the winners had 300 pounds of dead snake. So the population's going to get annihilated. All right, we'll check in with you all later. We'll pull on now. So Dan just got here. Um, what do you want to order from the menu? Uh, I guess it's good liquid. <laughs> Prefer the doubles. And at least 5.5% alcohol. Excellent. So uh, what's your game plan for this year's tournament? Uh, well, I rigged my kayak with lights, so I'm going to fish all night. And uh, I brought a 6, an 8, and a 10 weight. And I'm pretty much just going to fish topwater all night. What patterns are you going to throw off these guys? Um, I brought everything from little bugs, like little poppers and stuff, to I have these uh, articulated things that are like 8 inches long with a wine fork and a 6 out of it. So, those, I'm going to Scott's worried about getting hit by an arrow. Um, please don't tell him I take the bullseye with back. That's why I put the Tron lights all over my boat. It'd be hard to miss. With an arrow. I'm going to get a beer. I'd go with the new set. Ice cold, $2. Yeah, that was baby. Right on, right on. All right, we'll catch you later. All right. All right, so Dan's talking game plan. Dan, let's talk game plan. Okay, we're going to do... We're going to pick the bag 
but what we're going to do, I think, is if we're all launch out together, then Trent and I are in kayak, so we can paddle up the back of the creek, go to the sea of water and see what's up there, and then you guys can search around in the larger boat. When you guys come back in for whoever's not fishing all night to get out around 8.30 or 10, then I'll come back down. If we found good stuff, we'll head back up there with Trent and Scott in the boat. And then we'll be back first night. You guys take it back up again. So we'll just split up in the beginning and then uh, and then come to the wall there. For the kayakers, how do you plan on killing your snakeheads and where are you going to put them? We're going to bite out of it. We're going to bite out of the cerebral cortex. Try to get an open brain down to... Uh, I've heard these fish are full of adamantium. It might be a little hard. Adamantium? So that'll have you know the extra weight in the belly. You have not heard yet. A snakehead was coming open the other day with a pretty huge gosling in its belly. And the odd thing is, it didn't eat it head first. It ate it butt first. How big does your mouth have to be to swallow a goose in the back? That's good because I tied my big popper with some chocolate. Just like me. I don't, I don't know exactly how uh, a snake head does that, but I would like to see. Oh, We have with us the uh, manager of some of the local state parks in Maryland, Patrick Bright. And Patrick, what is it that you do? I manage the Southern Maryland Recreational Complex, which is uh, a network of parks throughout Charles, Prince George's, and Calvert Counties. And uh, it's not just the parks, we also have uh, State Forest, Cedarville State Forest, Local Wildlife Sanctuary, and several wildlife management areas, natural environmental areas but also, you know, state parks. So right now we're at Smallwood Small State Park, which is sort of our southern hub of the Southern Maryland Recreation Complex. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. And we're here for the Snakehead Tournament. Want to talk about the snakeheads in and around Maryland? Uh, certainly. Here on this stretch of the Potomac, we've been seeing them. The population's been pretty prominent for the last decade, especially the last three or four years. This tournament is the third year they're into the tournament. Um, 
prior to this, it was mainly bass fishing. Bass tournaments specifically are really a big uh, attraction here at Smallwood, and we have guys from all over the country that will have tournaments, clubs, or, or even FLW, BASS, pro angling events here. And most of the snakehead that we caught were a bycatch. They were brought to the scales, and some tournaments were good enough at our request to give prizes for getting rid of the snakehead. And now that's led uh, to everyone recognizing what a great table fare the snakehead makes and uh, how fun it is to catch. And snakehead has become a target species in and of its own. So now, over three years, I think this is probably three times as many people who participated in this tournament as when it started just a few years ago. Yeah, it's definitely much bigger this year. And uh, we've got three oysters this year, too. Oysters, Chadwells, knocking out some snakehead sandwiches. Some of the local guys have snakehead nuggets. It's interesting because I think that a lot of this... This event here started with very local people, Newburgh, um, La Plata area, Marbury, and now it's grown. It's stretched. I know there's people here from several other states, New Jersey, Virginia, obviously, Pennsylvania. So it's, it's neat to see that this, uh, this phenomenon is starting to take off. Have you seen any detrimental effects of the snakeheads in the parks, other fish populations going downhill? I, I haven't. Now, I wouldn't be the one that can necessarily speak to that. With any, any expertise, you need to talk to Joe Love, who's here today. He's our title fisheries manager, our title bass manager. And he's a scientist with the Department of Natural Resources. And he actually studies that. I run parks, so... Um, I'm more concerned about them getting out of the water There's still plenty of bass being caught locally. I mean, I haven't seen any decline in the numbers of bass brought to the scales um, during bass tournaments. So uh, I think that they can cohabitate. Uh, but, but again, I'm not necessarily an expert on but events like this, bringing anglers out, that's, that's good revenue for you guys? Well, the revenue is good, yeah. yeah. Um, now, because this this park um, sort of evolved in conjunction with the bass, the bass fishing movement, um, a lot of the lots and the ramps and all are totally due to fishing tournaments. So, if not for this event, we would we would have several bass tournaments going on here today. This is DNR sponsored. We we get behind this, so I'll book this tournament for this event at the expense of bass tournaments. Not as a revenue thing, as much as an ecological point that we want to get rid of the snakehead, and we're willing to support that. But in fact, we probably might make more revenue where we are several bass. What's happening at the same time? There's no bass tournament podcast, right? Not that I know of. Are you going to start one? No. This is my first like. I mean, I didn't fish last year, but it was a lot of work. And you? Am I allowed to ask you questions? Yes. Yeah, so, so you specifically? Do you? You're you're a fly fishing. Uh, yeah, I strictly fly fish. I caught my first striper May fourth, ninety nine, on a fly rod. Yeah. I never, uh, never looked never back. Look back. Yeah. I, I picked it. up a spinning rod in 14 years. And that is my real last name, by the way. Yeah, I, I pick up everything. <laughs> I do spinning rod, fly rod, whatever. Uh, I get it. 
I get a purist. I can appreciate that. We, we had we didn't catch anything. I mean, Scott's the one who caught the fish, but just throwing your big flies in his little nooks and crannies was that was the fun challenge out there. We got worked. I mean, thousands of casts in the last 20 hours. Yeah, I, I learned fly fishing in Southern Maryland because that's where I live. And I was a little late to the game. I was like late 20s. And uh, I probably learned more about fly fishing on bass ponds than any place else. Because you got all the weeds and all the lilies and all the slopes and banks and nooks and logs and things. I mean... You have to be a pretty, pretty adept caster to, to work this type of water. Not that you don't for trout, but sometimes a, a big trout river can be a lot more forgiving. I've never had to pull a trout out of lily pads like this. It was, I was trying to row through spattered off lily pads and hydrilla was, I mean, that was exhausting. So you're rowing, you're what, in a canoe? A, a drift boat? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, those lily pads, I've never seen those before. I wish we had those on our side of the Where are you? Uh, like Occoquan, Lorton, D.C. side, yeah. up there, Alexandria. Yeah, we got some great vegetation off there. I mean, you can see it, obviously, it's sports fish. The Mastermind is one of the more healthy estuaries in our region, um, and hopefully it'll stay that way. You know, I think everybody, it's on everybody's radar, and, and the proper efforts are being made to keep it in, in uh, as good a condition as it is. So you get a lot of bass. Stripers come up here on the spawn. Perch spawn up through here. Area shad. Snakehead obviously do well. It's loaded with catfish. Some big holes out there. They have some nice fish out. The term creek is kind of a misnomer. It's pretty big. Uh, it's a creek where it starts. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a river here in my boat. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, you can shoot me an email and I can get you the link for iTunes or you can just put my name in iTunes. All right, thank you very much. All right, man. Thank you. All right, next up we have a representative from Fish and Wildlife and representative from Maryland DNR. So basically I want to talk about uh, like the state of the snakeheads, about distribution, population numbers, impact on the environment. Um, have they been determined to be the huge threat that they once were? Um, and then we'll take it from there. Okay, yeah, sure. So, yeah, my name is Joe Love. Um, I'm a tidal bass specialist for Maryland Department of Natural Resources. I uh, work with snakehead, large anglers, and largemouth bass anglers that want to have A lot of people that want to have here. That's how I got involved in the game. And uh, this is Josh Newark. I'm Josh Newark. I'm a fish biologist with the Maryland Fishery Resources Office in Annapolis, Maryland. And that's the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And I mainly work with snakehead. And also, occasionally work with American Shad and American Eagle, and most of the work is on the Potomac River. Why would an angler who's going after fish be upset catching a 13-pound fish out of the river? I, I don't get that. When you know, the largemouth of three pounds, snakeheads are huge. It's, I don't know. Are anglers upset about catching a 13-pound fish? That's a pretty nice-sized fish. We've got, we've got a lot of people out there who are catching a 17-pound snakehead, and they're really enthusiastic about it. Uh, and today, we've got people catching, on average, six pounds. 
found Snakehead and they're enthusiastic about it. Everything they're doing out here is helping to protect our fisheries. Uh, it is an invasive species, and uh, we don't want it anymore. It's just uh, out there. And we don't have too many fishing nets that are organized and directed to, to uh, removing this invasive from our waters. And luckily, Whack Factor has that event, so that's why we're out here today. Even though the, the largemouth bass are non-native, is it just accepted now that they've been here for almost 200 years and they're just established? Is that, I mean, the, the snake has got a negative you know, connotation to them, but they're also one of the many non-natives in the river. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, largemouth came out uh, they, shortly after the Civil War uh, during the development of the railway system across the continental U.S. The uh, largemouth bass were introduced widely throughout the contiguous U.S. And Maryland's one of those places. We had both largemouth and smallmouth bass introduced in the late 1800s. Uh, and in fact, I went back and read those early reports. When they got in the water, largemouth bass uh, really did some damage out here. Um, and uh, largemouth is, you know, a lot of people know they are pretty good invasive species when they get into waterway. Japan, as a matter of fact, is having a problem with largemouth bass. They were introduced out there, and they actually think they're hurting the snakehead populations out in Japan. So uh, largemouth are, are a formidable predator. Uh, I think it has been a couple hundred years there, and uh, folks want to see largemouth in the water now. The, uh, the other aspect is that snakehead belong in Asia, a completely different continent. Here we have largemouth, which is native and evolved in North America, in the southeastern part of the United States. They were part of the Mississippi River drainage. And it's possible, uh, like Barnes are, that they, got, they would get inevitably into the Chesapeake Bay watershed anyway, on their own. Uh, there is very, very low probability that the snakehead would ever make it over to here on their own. So uh, we are trying to protect our you know, biodiversity within the U.S. It is a national issue uh, for us to do that, and uh, that, I think, is why we are adamant about trying to get snakehead out of the water. Well, I would say that, you know, it is just a wildlife service policy, at least under the Lacey Act, it's just that it's wildlife, so that implies that it's going to have some sort of negative impact. Uh, agents or associations like the American Fishery Society, which is full of fishery professionals from North America, you know, the general policy there is invasive species or introduced species will pose a problem. And, you know, overall, the public still seems to not want them around, and, you know, we don't think that they're... That, we don't want them around either, and they're also, you know, it's only been 10 years, which isn't a really long time, biologically speaking, uh, and while we haven't seen any maybe obvious negative impacts at the population level, uh, once we do see that negative impact, it'll be too late. So tournaments like this, encouraging anglers to get rid of them, and we're still doing that as agencies, even throughout our research, is just an overall goal of the program right now. Do you have fears that people, are, since they can live out of water for so long, that they're going to be taking them and dumping them somewhere else? Like they just showed up in Harlem, we were in New York. There was one in like British Columbia like two years ago. Are you guys worried that people are going to start introducing them so they don't have to travel here to take them to eat? Isn't that, also, isn't that why they were dumped in here? So the guy couldn't, they didn't have to drive to like New York City to get them from the markets. 
we no, we we've got DC markets. So there was, uh, you know, up until 2003 in Maryland, anyway, it was legal to sell these fish in the live food markets, and people could buy a lot and. Uh, and then they, in some cases, introduced them uh, to some ponds here, often pond in Maryland, and it, obviously into the Potomac River. They got into the uh, Anacostia up here. So, uh, you know, the, we are definitely worried. We don't want people to buy fish live. It is illegal now to do it. Uh, and Josh can talk about that, but um, we, de- we definitely don't want people taking these fish and, and moving them around. That's why it's illegal in Maryland to possess a live snakehead and why we're working so hard with anglers uh, to convince them why it's important that they do not do that and, uh, and then how to, how to kill them. Yeah, and it's illegal in, it's illegal in most states to have transport a live snakehead and it's of course a federal violation to transport a live snakehead across state lines and then for the Lacey Act at least you look at much different penalties than perhaps some states offer. But uh, it's like I said, it's still illegal. And yeah, it is a concern that we don't want people moving around and dumping them. And it just, it has happened. You know, as Joey said, you could get them in a live fish food market. They were used to be able to get them for your aquarium. Um, so there's several pathways that could have happened for release. And the genetics at least suggest within the Potomac that there were several instances of fish that were released. And it wasn't just one release in the population food from there. Actually, there's tilapia up in D.C. now in the river. Um, four mile run. Uh, we're guessing that those. I mean, the grocery store near me sells live tilapia. Yeah. I'm guessing that they hang out by the sewage outflow where it's warm in the winter time. Plus the goldfish too. Also, that's just a growing concern in general with invasive species. It's always going to be a threat, and you know, staying on top of it, increasing public awareness is really one of the main things we can do. Clearly, as biologists, we can't cover enough water. So, if you inform people that you know these aren't good to be in the system and to keep them out of waterways, you know, that's, that's the best we can do. You can't be at every river and expect every ramp to block for these releases. So, it's a concern, and of course, with just increased globalization as a whole, it's always going to be a threat. So. It's just an ongoing battle. Uh, you know, you see, talk about the goldfish. They're a foot long in the Potomac and bright orange. So, you know, nobody's, are they a problem? Nobody really knows, but they're obviously out there and they have been for some time. It's just they've kind of flown under the radar. Snakehead, you know, there's a little bit more of an appeal there because, you know, they're juicy. They can live outside of the water. Not, you know, that's, there's been a lot of exaggerations on that. I mean, they have to be wet and they're probably not going to slither from creek to creek on, on their own. So, but it's just a concern, and it's just an ongoing battle that will unfortunately probably be facing for some time. You say that snakeheads are good for your job security, keep you employed? No. My, uh, to be honest with you, my, uh, my job would be a lot easier if snakeheads weren't around. Um, you know, Josh and I both are fish biologists. We work to protect our native ecosystems. And there's enough work in that that we don't need to deal with exotic species that become invasive. Uh, we have enough issues to worry about. So in terms of job security, you know, we've got plenty already for the work that we're doing, 
the uh, issues with Snakehead actually make things a little bit more expensive for the American public and for Marylanders. Um, more tax dollars get pumped into invasive species control, and that's a problem for them because they're paying for it. And uh, that's our staff time, and uh, because they pay for our salaries, um, that's us going out there trying to uh, protect our ecosystems against these exotic species that could, as, as Josh mentioned, uh, flare up and cause problems. So, uh, no, I've got, I've got plenty of jobs to Yeah, I would just have to echo that wholeheartedly, pretty much summed it up, but, you know, there, you, you summed it up too, you know, invasive species are going to continually probably to be a problem, so it's, if it's not snake, it would be something else, but it's extremely expensive to, to control invasive species, it's much better to prevent them, uh, Asian carp in the Midwest have just exploded, they're spending a lot of money to work on ways to control them, keep them the Great Lakes from impacting those fisheries, so, you know, that money could be much better spelt, uh, spent protecting our natural resources that are always already here. Well, it looks like the band's about to start up, so we've got to lose our quietness. Thanks, guys, for uh, joining us. Anything else you want to throw out there? Yeah. Uh, depending on where you are, I'd encourage you guys to come on down, especially for this Black Factor tournament. They, they have it every year, and it's a lot of fun. They've got some free music here, free food, some great vendors, and you get forced to see some uh, snakehead, maybe participate in the fishery, and participate in the uh, better protection of some of our natural ecosystems. Yeah, and say so just come out here, get, you know, I feel guilty about uh, catching, eating some fish. Just get out in the tank and get them out here. Let's do our job. Alright, alright. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Alright, we, we got Austin Murphy. He runs the Snakehead Tournament. Uh, how the tournament go so far this year? Oh, we, we, uh, we're really happy. We think it's a huge success. We've had at least, what, 30% more, um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, participation. So we're thrilled with that. Especially with the weather situation the way it has been. We're, we're happy. And, and we're very happy to have people who are fly fishing in the tournament. Uh, that is a, it's, a, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. So to see more people fly fishing for snakeheads, I'm stoked. Let's talk about, you, you've perfected some of your techniques and, and, uh, learned a little bit more about snakeheads since last year. You want to talk about where you're finding them and what kind of rods and lines and flies and leaders you're throwing? Sure. Um, my technique's a little different from a lot of people. Uh, I prefer, uh, good, cloudless sky midday sun i can see the fish if i can have a low tide that's even better and i like to actually sight fish for them so kind of move along on a on a polling platform uh elevated you know sight perspective get to see the fish and actually throw a fish um a, a fly to the fish mm-hmm. what kind of boat are you you're pushing around we've got a few options right now that uh we kind of have a mixed bag of boats all of them have elevated casting platforms but hopefully next year we'll have a technical skiff that's set up exclusively for fly fishing right now our vessels are kind of set up for bow fishing and fly fishing but next year uh if all goes well we'll have a technical skiff set up exclusively for fly fishing with a with actually you know a, a, a polling platform a casting deck so we can hit it that way what kind of flies have been most successful you know, uh, in my opinion, it depends on the time of year. Uh, you know, in the spring, April, right around early April, we see lots of fish at the mouths of rivers, uh, and we see them staging up. It's not uncommon to see 40, 50, 60 fish in an area. 
Uh, I like at that time. I, I I like to tie a killifish pattern that is not weighted, um, you know, with some soft tackle and some flash. I like that a lot. As as they move from there, you know, they'll transition to to the wood pilings, and then they'll transition to the thick vegetation, and they'll start breeding. That that's a tough bite. You know, we it's 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 very hard, uh, very challenging to get them to bite when they're paired up in a in a breeding situation. But of course. They finish their breeding, they're hungry again, and now it depends on their mood. Sometimes they, they turn on to the top water bite, and we do really well with that. Sometimes we finesse them in, in shallow water, small channels. Uh, they're really spooky. Um, I like to use um, a clear line. Um, um, a clear tropical line, so I don't, I'm not lining fish. Uh, so, you know, I, I particularly, you know, like a, a nice clear tropical line. Uh, that I'm partial to that. Um, I like taking longer shots because I think the fish are pretty spooky in, in shallow water and I think they have a good awareness. Uh, I don't know if you would agree, but, you know, they, their eyes are, you know, located kind of on the top of their head so they can, they can see predation you know raptors people from the top pretty well so uh i tend to back off sometimes if i'm fishing and i see a snakehead in a great spot i'll actually go right past it you know and come back in 10 minutes once things calm down take a longer shot to that fish uh that's 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 a technique that i've used i like uh shallow flats mud flats particularly moving moving um moving flies across mud flats slowly you know again it's about the strike zone sometimes you can hit that hit them right in the strike zone and and do really well you shared a quite the most ridiculous snakehead photo the other day um you want to talk about the uh, what was in the stomach of that snakehead uh actually i shared a photo of a snakehead the other day that someone sent to me but after closer inspection um i thought that the 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 pectoral fins were a little suspect, and once I started looking at the the fish, first of all, it had uh, I recognized that it had a, a young juvenile canvasback duck in its belly. Canvasback ducks breed in the prairie pothole region in Cal in uh, in Canada, so we don't have them in this area. That was the first clue that I thought the the picture was kind of a fraud. When I looked at the the, the pectoral fins, I noticed they were thin and almost a little clear. Uh, uh, snakehead has a very thick, heavy-duty, large pectoral fin. So based on that, I think that we were actually looking at a muskie or a pike, uh, and, and it also had a very light belly. Um, so I would think that, that that picture that was sent to me was probably a muskie or a pike in the north, you know, with with a baby canvasback duck in its belly, which was interesting in and of itself, but I don't think that was a snakehead in my view. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, it's starting to rain. I want to get the computer put away. So uh, thanks for having us, and we'll see you next year at the next tournament. Rob, thanks for coming out. You've been such a great advocate of fly fishing in general, and you do so much good work for the sport, and I really appreciate it. Where can we find you guys online? You can find us at PotomacSnakehead.com. Twitter? You can find me on Snakehead Slayer. Uh, it's MDVA Snakehead, uh, and I try to tweet actively so hopefully we can connect on twitter all right all right let's get this put away and uh go have some more free beer
Uh, let's see if we can knock this out. Uh, we got Jim here. Jim, tell us how the tournament went for you so far. For me, uh, unfortunately, the fishing Alright, thank you. Alright, we got Scott with us, and so we can uh, hear him over the bluegrass. How'd the tournament go for you? Uh, it was fantastic. Um, we learned a lot. Uh, didn't catch any snake ups, unfortunately, but we uh, we certainly learned a lot about fishing spatter dock and other weed structures. Uh, we got some bass, and we had a lot of fun. What's it like rowing a drip boat for your first time? Um, it was much easier in open water than through spatter dock, despite what I was told. Any changes to your technique for next year? <laughs> no, I, don't, I can't think of any. I uh, think I fish as hard as I could. And how, how long did you fish this tournament? Uh, I 18 straight hours. That's crazy. So I, Scott's going to go home and get some sleep. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. So nobody left his wife's turkeys on the floor. All right, we got Dan here. Um, finally, I have the right microphone on. So, Dan, uh, you want to sum up the tourney? Your big uh, cork fly and overnight fishing and how it was getting TPFR recognized out here today. Yeah, uh, all all of the above were awesome. The um, fishing all night, anytime you can do it, is uh, an adventure. It's more of an adventure when there's about 40 or so boats with um, stadium lighting on it, shooting arrows at fish all night long. So that makes it a that makes it a really fun experience. And um, although everybody was perfectly cordial, and um, so it wasn't really any kind of a uh, close encounters or whatnot. But um, yeah, we fished top water all night because you're fishing blind and um, fished a high tide, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Got some really big surface takes on a fly that's about maybe eight inches long, made out of a line cork and a six aught hook and bunch of feathers and uh actually got a decent catfish on it some nice bass and but anyway it was just it's just fun i mean fishing with friends all night long uh, i mean it's just a great way to it's a great way to spend time getting tpfr on the um event here is a is a big deal um encouraging more fly fishing participation in this event and even though we came up with a big old goose egg for snakeheads we still uh we still had a great time and it was it was definitely a Definitely worth going. So I encourage a lot of people uh, next go round to, you know, put a fly rod team in there and just go for it. It's fun anyway. Trent, you want to sum up the uh, weekend's festivities? Spatter dock. <laughs> right on, right on. I uh, I think I think the the word spatter dock was used uh, on the boats in excess of about three hundred times this weekend. One because it sounds cool, and two because the the fish are there lots of times. But I I would sum up the event. It was. It was rock solid. Again, donut for the team, but I think we all came out winners. We caught we caught some bass and catfish. There were some absolute explosions on the top water, which was just fun fishing at night. But you know, the fact that I'm sitting here eating oysters from Hollywood Oyster Company and and drinking a a flying dog Atlantic Lager right now um, is a, a great way to end the weekend too. So we'll be back next year. 
Yeah, I'll just add to that that I mean everybody that puts this event on is does an incredible job. Austin in particular just does an amazing job to set this up. It's not a it's not an easy event to pull off. It's very well organized and very professionally put together, and uh, we're super impressed with that. Dalton's here for the free oysters and free beer. Yeah, I had a great time in the snakehead tournament. I uh, actually I, I didn't enter, but I caught over 100 snakehead this weekend, and they're not going to count anymore. But uh. I'm here enjoying the free beer and the free oysters. All right, all right. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.